The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. This program is intended for educational purposes. आप सुन रहे हैं रेडियो अजीम प्रेमजी यूनिवर्सिटी Republic with Amit Basole Episode 1 Bonus Bombay Talkies When I was working on the first episode um, for this series uh, which is on the mill worker poets and the progressive poets of Bombay I found myself getting quite sucked into the history of Bombay itself and how that played a crucial role in both the textile mills arising in the city and the film industry as well coming into being this is bombay uh, of the 1800s you know what kinds of things were happening there that set us up for our 20th century story that is covered in the main episode i want to go back maybe a 100 uh, or more years uh, earlier and start with the time when the marathas were finally defeated by the british in the early 19th century the early 1800s and bombay which until then had been an isolated british outpost became connected with an entire hinterland of maharashtra and beyond and that's when the city's ascent starts one of the first big businesses in bombay is something that people don't talk about so much these days and that is the opium trade where vast fortunes were made by the british forcibly selling opium to china indian merchants like jamshed ji 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 boy kowas ji jahangir and others whose names are well known and who are the paradigmatic philanthropic founders of the city of bombay were part of this opium trade let me give you just one statistic on how rapidly this trade expanded between 1830 and 1860 opium exports through bombay grew tenfold in these 30 years a lot of money was made if you ever go to south bombay you will see huge impressive buildings built in the 19th century gothic style a lot of them financed with opium money the gothic style the picture you should have in your mind is something like the chhatrapati shivaji terminus or the victoria terminus as it is to be called uh, that and many other the bombay city hall many other buildings came up at that time and for example the convocation hall at the university of mumbai you can image google it and see the building was conceived by sir gilbert scott who was one of the best known gothic architects of his time and it was funded by kovas ji jahangir who was a prominent Uh, opium merchant Sometime in the 1850s or 60s there was a party thrown in Bombay which featured a very interesting guest that uh, nobody else had seen appear in parties then or indeed anywhere else that was ice Yes just ice to have your drinks cold in the hot Bombay summer 
whose party was this? This was a party thrown by Sir Jamshed Ji, Jiji Boy, one of Bombay's most prominent citizens of the time, a philanthropist. And uh, in his party, people encountered this ice for the first time. This story, which uh, I read in uh, Naresh Fernandez's book, City Adrift, uh, was one of the many fascinating stories I found or came across when I was doing some reading for the first episode of the series, which is on Lok Shahirs and the progressive poets of Bombay in the 20th century. The next chapter of Bombay's economic history stars cotton and textiles, which I think many more people would be aware of. The profits of opium went into these industries in the late 19th century. And here again, there's an interesting historical accident. When the American Civil War happened in the 1860s, the exports of cotton from America to England were affected. And Bombay stepped in as the exporter of Indian cotton to Britain. Remember, this is the time when the British textile industry was huge and expanding. We're talking about the 1860s, 70s, uh, Manchester and all of those cities, Lancashire, the famous part of England, uh, which was the hub of this textile industry. These cities were hungry for as much cotton as they could get. That cotton earlier used to come from the American South. It was interrupted when the Civil War started in America and India, Indian cotton stepped in. Again, fortunes were made in that trade. And this brings us in a whirlwind tour to the early years of the 20th century, right? the early 1900s. And what we have is a rapidly growing city with merchants, many of whom are Parsis, Gujaratis, who had made money in opium, textiles, cotton exports and so on, looking for avenues to invest their capital. And here's where the next chapter, the one that concerns us today, starts. The Bombay film industry. Most of you, I think, would have heard of Dada Sahib Falke. He was a pioneer of Indian cinema. Um, there's a nice Marathi movie made on him a few years ago called Harish Chandraji Factory. Uh, what you perhaps may not know is that his first financier was a guy called Maya Shankar Bhatt. And he was a textile tycoon. He'd made his money in the textile industry. Another early Marathi filmmaker, S.N. Patankar, not as well known as Palke, but an important figure in the history of the industry, was financed by a person called Dwarka Das Sampath, who was the owner of Kohinoor Textile Mills. These connections illustrate the importance of the textile industry to the founding of the film industry. And I should note here that you will find these and many other such fascinating facts about the early years of Bombay cinema in a very nice book by Kaushik Bhaumik called The Emergence of the Bombay Film Industry from 1913 to 36. But the Parsi and Gujarati contribution to Bombay cinema doesn't stop at finance. The tradition of Parsi and Gujarati theatre was already well established in the city in the 19th century itself. Uh, which had also attracted a lot of people who were of the artistic type, writers, actors, singers, stage decorators, and so on. And that industry uh, was an inspiration 
in a way, not only because it attracted talent, but also with its themes, its treatments of those themes, uh, it cast an influence on the film industry. The obvious influence that is important for us in this show is the film song. A big reason why Hindi films have songs and not just songs in the sense of a song playing in the background while some action is taking place, but rather a, a, an actual song in the film which moves the plot or sets up characters or character arcs and so on. The reason these exist is partly because of Gujarati and Parsi theatre, which also had this kind of uh, arrangement of, of music, of songs. Um, and, and also the Marathi Natya Sangeet tradition and other folk drama traditions of the time, all of which had songs as an important part of plot making and storytelling. Even as technology, talent and finance were becoming available, changes were also afoot to bring into existence that last piece of the puzzle, consumers, the audience. If you think about it, who was coming to films in those days? We are talking about the 1920s and so on. Right? It's not, of course, very easy for us to tell for sure uh, that we don't have that much uh, good data on it. But there's an interesting report from the 1920s which Bhaumik uses in his book, uh, which is called the Indian Cinematograph Committee Report, which has some basic data on audiences in the 1920s. And that report estimates that around 50% of the city's population had some experience of cinema at that time already. They might not go all the time, but they had gone at least once maybe. And that 25% of the audience were women. I mean, I don't know what you think, but both of these numbers to me are startlingly high. You know, very surprisingly high. Uh, of course, we don't have uh, too many other estimates to compare them with. But nevertheless, it does seem that as early as the 1920s, cinema was being consumed by cross-sections of society. It was not restricted to an elite audience. For example, by 1918, Sandhurst Road, which those of you familiar with Bombay might know, had cinema halls that were actually bringing the cinema beyond the old uh, fort town or the British town. There were cinema halls on Parel Road, on Chinchpokali Road. This is all heart of the mill district in Bombay of the time, working class areas. In 1925, there were 21 new theatres that opened in Bombay presidency as a whole. And we're talking just about 10 years after the start of the whole thing, so not very long at all. There was a Another historical accident here, which is the First World War, that plays its own role in our story. It brought a lot of soldiers into Bombay from all over across India on their way to the various fronts across the world. So Bombay was the port from where these soldiers were leaving for these various places. And the presence of this soldiery gave an impetus to the film industry also as a consuming class for films. Of course, even without the soldiers... Bombay's demographics were changing remarkably at this time because of the large-scale migration that was happening uh, from workers coming to work in the textile mills that we have already had occasion to refer to uh, earlier in this episode. As the cinema industry grew, so did its physical imprint on the city itself. And what you find is a big spurt in cinema halls um, all over uh, the city. 
uh, and in the Toki era in particular in the 1930s is when you start seeing many of these iconic art deco theaters art deco is sort of the fashionable style of that time the architectural style of the time and if you go to bombay you might see eros cinema outside church gate railway station or regal cinema near the gateway of india all of these theaters eros regal metro plaza they were all designed and built in the 1930s in the art deco style and alongside cinema halls there are hoardings paintings and the visual presence of the cinema is also growing and in this context i want to talk about a very interesting character who though not a poet i think uh, paints a very nice picture uh, and i'm making a very bad pun here you'll see why uh, of what bombay was like and this guy is baburao painter that's his name he is the son of a blacksmith and carpenter from kolhapur in maharashtra and he started his life as a stage backdrop painter in the parsi theaters so uh, creating these sets and painting the backgrounds and so forth and he became a very important stage and set designer and a filmmaker in his own right uh, one of the people who supported him was chatrapati shahu maharaj of kolhapur who is also famous for having uh, supported ambedkar in his um, social activism for me the life of baburao painter is really kind of uh, uh, you know such an interesting bombay life Going beyond Bombay city itself though what is important for our story of the poets and what they are going to talk about is this unprecedented public sphere that was being constructed by films what do i mean by that starting in the second half of the 1920s and then in the 1930s bombay cinema spread from the confines of a limited market of the city or of western india or bombay presidency to towns all over uh, india and particularly in the north and northwest of india uh, remember this is undivided british india that we are talking about and two things were key cinema halls as well as travelling groups that would set up these um you know shows right? uh so there's this kind of a mobile infrastructure but also a lot of just fixed infrastructure in the form of cinema halls that was coming up in every big town in india Bangalore had 21 cinema halls uh, across the Pete which is the traditional town and the cantonment uh, in that at that time in the 20s and Lahore had 16 uh, so we have a burgeoning audience and a public sphere being created here it's creating an audience for the the films a kind of a sign if you will a, a symbol of the mainstreaming of Bombay cinema might be that in the year 1932 for the first time the Times of India which was a very elite English newspaper of the time advertised a film for the first time until then it had ignored this industry and that film um, is called Indra Sabha uh, the court of indra uh, it's based on a 19th century urdu play patronized by Wajid Ali Shah written by a guy called Aga Hasan Amanat from Lucknow and this film it was made in 1932 it has um, hold your breath 72 songs so the theaters cinema halls these are creating these audiences but even more important for our story is radio because that's where the songs enter the picture how are people listening to songs and the music that films are producing it is mainly through radio people who have never seen a film perhaps couldn't afford to see it were not interested in seeing it they could still hear songs even if they didn't own a radio they could pass by maybe a shop or pan shop or something else which was playing this music and they would listen to it 
All India Radio so is 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 a very big part of this story and we also know uh, this because there was a famous episode in the 1950s in 1952 when All India Radio banned Hindi film music. When uh, BV Keskar who was the chief of All India Radio um said that film songs have become vulgar, westernized and so forth and we can't have them on radio. Of course what happened when AIR banned Hindi film music was that people switched to Radio Ceylon. So it's not like they were not listening to it anymore. Namaste bahar bhaiyo, main aapka dost Amin Sayani bol raha hu. And the demand was obviously there and it didn't go away and AIR reversed the ban a few years later. This uh, almost whirlwind tour of history hopefully will give you an idea of the forces that came into play the uh, conditions that created what is a very unique public sphere which is going to be taken advantage of by the progressive poets which we talk about in uh, the first episode uh, the the way films gave them an opportunity and what i've done in this uh, episode is to really lay out very briefly the history the genesis of the film industry and the conditions that it created make sure you check out the show notes where we share the show resources and acknowledgments and don't forget to subscribe or like our channel for future episodes रेडियो अजीम प्रेम जी यूनिवर्सिटी